0: The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I am Tim. Timothy John, to be completely accurate, for that is the name I was given at birth and given again at my baptism. I am the son of Gerald and Anna. I am the husband of Teresa, the father of Nathan and Noah, and grandfather to Penelope, by far the cutest little girl in the whole wide world. I'm about six feet tall. I'm a couple pounds heavier than I would like to be, quite healthy, and in reasonable shape for my age. I'm a pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church with a side gig for a group called Doxology. I'm a reader and a writer and a fly fisherman of sorts. Now, all of that is a description of me, but it's not really my identity, is it? After all, if all of that were lost, if all of that is taken from me, I'm still me. I'd be a mournful and wretched and wishing I was dead me than I could ever imagine, but I'd still be me. So, who am I? Who are you? If you start out a sentence with I am and fill in the blank with a few things afterwards, what do you say? I am blank. The answers are many, some easier than others, some happier than others. I am a son or daughter, husband or wife, or single, brother or sister, friend, sixth grader, teacher, boss, employee, citizen, or I am healthy, I am fit. I'm stiff and sore, I'm sick, I'm hurting, I'm terminally ill, or I am an optimist, or I am a pessimist, or I am confident and moving forward, or I am brittle and depressed, or I am worried, I am better than I thought I would turn out, I am not what I was hoping to be. Still, if any and all of that changed, you'd still be you, right? Right? Different in some ways, but still you. So who are you? This occupies more of life than perhaps you know. When you're young, you're trying to figure out who you are, trying to establish an identity. It's evident in the fact that you don't want to be known as so-and-so's sister or so-and-so's son. You want to be known for being you. The danger there is that you're tempted to get your identity from whatever makes you acceptable to your friends who are doing the same thing. And if you got the wrong set of friends, you're going to mess up life for a long time to come. In that case, you'll still be you, but you'll be the one who had so much potential and threw so much away. This is why parents need to be vigilant in helping their kids find their identity If they take the the let-the-children-find-themselves approach to parenting, they are simply surrendering their parental responsibilities to others. The highest priority of parents is to help their children establish their identity. And it doesn't stop in life. Middle-aged folks are trying to figure out who they are, usually by measuring accomplishments. That's a time of constant juggling, trying to make time for family, work, and whatever else— If you're at this stage and you don't know contentment, then you're going to identify yourself by what you haven't got and haven't done. That's rough. In later years, it's common to look back and assess and measure one's identity by past accomplishments, you know, by legacy. There is, however, a particular torment that can strike here, the curse of dementia, Those who get this dreaded diagnosis will struggle with a severe identity crisis because identity and memory are bound together. So they must face the question, if it's true that I think, therefore I am, then what does it mean if I can no longer think? Or, if I don't know who I am, then am I? Now that question takes us back to the start of life, One is an unborn baby, a human being. Likewise, end-of-life considerations. How much of a person is gone before he is no more? There's a reason for these questions. It's God who establishes our identity because he created us. Your identity is supposed to be, I am in the image of God. But that was lost with the fall into sin. If you're cut off from God, then you're cut off from the one who gives you your identity. You can try to do it yourself, but it will be a patchwork on a sliding scale. Cut off from God. Everybody shares that identity. We all end up in the same place defined by what we lack. It's the identity that says, I am a sinner and I am dying for it. That's not much of an identity, but at least it's honest. I pray that it is one that you're willing to admit to confess freely, because that puts you in a good crowd. It's the crowd that's gathered around John the Baptist in the banks of the Jordan River. They've gathered, remember, because John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's calling sinners to repentance. These people know what they are, they know what they're not, and they don't want to be that way anymore. But this is not just an ad hoc support group of misfit sinners sympathizing with each other, because John has more to his preaching. He's also telling them that the Messiah is about to arrive and that the one coming has such power and authority that he can take their sins away and restore them to God. One can imagine that as John preaches, the expectation only builds day by day. On the day of our text, Jesus arrives. He has an established identity. As the only begotten Son of God who is born of the Virgin Mary, he can describe himself this way. The sentence begins with, I am, and that's where it ends. That's all he needs to say. He is I am, for he is Yahweh. He is Almighty God become man, and now he stands among these sinners. The Messiah has arrived. And what does the only begotten Son of God, Most High, become flesh, do when he arrives at the Jordan and stands among these sinners? He gets in line to be baptized. And this does not make any sense. John is baptizing sinners for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Son of God has nothing to repent of. He has no sin to be forgiven for. If he did, he wouldn't be the Holy Son of God. So when Jesus arrives to be baptized, even John tries to stop him from going through with it. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? To him, the Messiah arrives and asks to be baptized as if the Savior needs saving. Jesus says to John, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. According to Jesus, to fulfill all righteousness, to keep with God's plan for salvation, it is necessary that Jesus be baptized just like he is one of those unholy, dying sinners standing around him. So John baptizes him. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests on him, For the Father pours out His Spirit upon Jesus as He declares in Isaiah 42, verse 1. And if there's still any doubt, the Father speaks and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Holy Trinity approves of the baptism of Jesus. And you know what happens you can't separate Jesus' baptism from His death on the cross. He is baptized with all those sinners because he is identifying with them. He's assuming their identity before God. In their baptism, their sins are washed off of them and onto him. It's as if he puts on the coat of a criminal spattered with DNA and pockets full of damning evidence, and he wears it so that he is condemned for the crime of others And in the meantime, he puts his robe of righteousness on the guilty so that they go free. That's what happens at the Jordan. The righteous Son of God takes the sin of the sinners and carries it from there to the cross so that they might be righteous. It's not just for them, but for you. After he dies and rises again, Jesus institutes Christian baptism so that he might bear your sins to the cross too. You heard about it in Romans 6 today. In your baptism, Jesus has joined you to himself. He's joined you to his death for your sin because he's died for your sin already. Your death has been hollowed out into a sleep. He's also joined you to his resurrection so that you might have eternal life. Your sins have been washed off of you unto him, and he has clothed you in his robe of righteousness. So, who are you? We said before that your identity is lost if you are cut off from God. But now in baptism, you are not cut off from God. In fact, you are joined to Christ You're united with him in death and then in life. And what does the Lord say of you? What identity does he give you? He says that you are his beloved child. He says that for Jesus' sake, he is well pleased with you. Nobody's saying that you're Jesus. But when God the Father looks upon you, he sees Jesus' righteousness He doesn't see your sin unless you're so foolish that you'd rather wear your sin before God instead of Jesus' holiness. That's why repentance is such a gift, because it removes from you the rags and nakedness of sin, and it clothes you in Christ. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then he says, almost immediately in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So, who are you? You are God's son. You're not only begotten and virgin born, but you are born again by water and the word. You are an heir of the kingdom of heaven. Because you have died with Christ, you will also live with him. And even though everything be lost in this world, family, health, memory, all, everything will be restored because your identity ultimately is that you are a child of God, created and redeemed by Him. Who are you? Here's a great way for you to complete the I am sentence about your identity. Say, I am baptized. That's who you are. For the sake of Jesus restored to God's image, you are God's own child and God's own heir. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.